Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. About 15 years ago, I went to Tampa for our denomination's General Assembly. Denise, Jill, when she was an infant, Emily wasn't born yet, and my mom were in our truck, and I was driving my mom's car. We were headed south on 85 when we passed by a semi and got in front of him, and the semi started honking his horn. You know, we didn't think anything of it, you know, hey, how are you doing? And kept going. Well, about five minutes after this, I looked behind me, Denise was right behind me, and I looked behind me, and Denise's tire exploded. I mean, rubber went all over the place. And I freaked out, because I've, I've had like fears of that happening, her being in another car and me just watching helplessly, not being able to do anything, right? So she starts going like this, and I'm going, oh no, and then she finally pulls the car over, and I'm still, you know, trying to slow down and pull over, and finally I do, and I get out of the car and run, it's about a quarter mile back to my wife, and by that time, to my relief, she's standing out there with my mom and Jill, and she's standing with a truck driver by this demolished tire. Now, as Paul Harvey would say, now for the rest of the story. You see, 15 minutes before that tire blew up, I started praying for my wife and for my family. And after that, what we surmised is she hit a piece of metal, the tire started going down, the truck driver saw that, he pulled in behind her and stayed behind her as she's going all over the place and kept behind her and then pulled off the road behind her to keep any cars from hitting her. What amazed me was when I walked up and I saw my family standing there, the truck driver was wearing a Christian t-shirt. He was a believer. Uh, and God had answered my prayers directly by putting this truck driver at a certain time in a certain place right there, and God used that to protect my family. You know, I, I couldn't trust in my own power. I wasn't in the car. I was helpless. I, I couldn't trust in the government. They're the ones that didn't clean up the roads. The only thing I could trust is in my God. And in the power of God answering prayer. Let's look at Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. And we're going to see the story of Peter's miraculous escape from prison through the power of God 
And in this story, we're also going to see a contrast between Herod's trust in politics and power and the church's trust in God's power through prayer. This is the Word of God. Look at verses 1 through 6. And about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, attending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Now before we get into this text, I want you to know a little bit of background about Herod in this text. This is Herod Agrippa I. Um, this is the grandson of Herod the Great. You remember who Herod the Great was? He was the king of Judea when Jesus was born. Okay, the guy that tried to kill all the children and all of that, right? But his grandmother was Mary Ann, who was Jewish, and thus he could claim Jewish ancestry. So King Agrippa, King Herod, was educated in Rome, and he was befriended by Caligula, who later became the emperor in 37 AD. So it's always good to know people in high places, right? Especially the emperor of Rome. So because of his connections with the emperor, Herod moved up the political ladder quickly and became the king over Judea and Samaria in 41 AD. Now that you know that, let's look at the first point of this, the world's trust in politics and power. King Herod was a shrewd politician. He played his Jewish ancestry to the hilt. He made it known to everybody around that he loved living in Jerusalem, and he meticulously observed Jewish law and tradition. Daily he offered sacrifices at the temple, and during the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish authorities even asked him to publicly read from the law. Because of this, the Jews accepted Herod as one of their own. Now, Herod was no dummy. He knew to be politically correct, he had to please the Jews. Because if he didn't, if they started complaining to Rome, he might be removed from his kingship quickly. Um, so in order to keep favor, he begins to persecute the church by arresting Christians. And one of the leaders we see here is James, the brother of the Apostle John. And he has him beheaded. And after seeing how much that pleases the Jews... Then he arrests Peter also. One writer says this, Those who make themselves an enemy, easy prey to Satan, who make it their business to please men. Herod was definitely 
a man pleaser. And he trusted in politics, not caring what he had to do to keep his position, even killing Christians. But remember that behind all this was a spiritual war that was going on. Satan was trying to stop the church in its infancy by killing some of its prime important leaders like Peter. So after arresting Peter, we see that Herod also trusted in his military power to keep Peter in prison. Look at verse 4. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So here we see Herod uses a small army. A squad of soldiers is four soldiers. So four times four, of course, is 16. He was using 16 soldiers to guard Peter. Four on each shift. Okay, four on each shift. Two were chained to Peter. Can you imagine that? One on each side of Peter. And then also there were two on the inner gates of the, of the uh, prison. So they acted like Peter was uh, Palestine's most wanted criminal. Why do you think they needed all this security? Were they afraid of Peter breaking out? Were they afraid of the disciples coming and freeing Peter? I don't think so. You know, Roman guards were probably not afraid of much. The only thing they were probably afraid of was falling asleep on duty because that meant the death penalty. Now, it's possible that the Sanhedrin had told Herod of prior incidents in Acts 5 where all the apostles were arrested and had escaped one night from prison. And also, he probably heard about how Peter had performed many miracles in Jerusalem, showing that he possessed supernatural powers. But Herod failed to realize, listen to this, Herod failed to realize that even if he had a whole legion of men, which is 5,000 men, nothing would keep him, Peter, in the cell if God wanted him out. He was trying to thwart the power of God with 16 Roman soldiers. You know, it reminds me of what we just sang, how great is our God? How great is our God? Um, in fact, if he knew history, if he knew his Jewish ancestry, he would know that in 2 Kings 19.35, God destroyed 185,000 Assyrians with one angel in one night who had come to destroy Jerusalem. That's the power of our God. Then, in more recent history, when a Roman cohort came to arrest Jesus, they asked him, Are you Jesus? And a Roman cohort is 600 men. When they came to arrest Jesus, and they said, Are you Jesus? He said, I am He. And this is in John 18, 6. I am He. 
and all 600 men fell to the ground. It was foolish to think that he could thwart God's power with 16 men, trusting in his politics and power. And in contrast to this, let's look at the church's trust in God's power through prayer. Look at verse 5. So it says, So Peter was kept in prison. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church wrote Herod letters of protest. Is that what it says? So Peter was kept in prison, but the church picketed Herod's palace. Um, does it say that? So Peter was kept in prison, and the church formed a militia and attacked Herod's palace. Doesn't say any of that, does it? It says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The word here for earnest or fervent prayer means that the church prayed with heart, soul, and mind, with strong enthusiasm and devotion and zealousness. How did this earnestness, how was this revealed in their prayers? Well, it, it shows in verse 12 that many came to this prayer meeting. It wasn't just a few people, it was many people. And then it shows also in verse 18 that they prayed all night long. They were so earnest in their prayers for Peter's release that they continued to pray throughout the night until uh, Peter was released. And why were they this intense in their prayers? Well, I don't believe it was just for Peter's release. It was because of who they were fighting against. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. It says this in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then it says down in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all pers perseverance, making supplication, supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. They were praying for Peter's release, and they were praying against Satan's kingdom and Satan's forces of evil. And look at how God answers their prayer. Look at verses 6 through 11. It says this, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone on the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. 
When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, now, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Peter had been in prison for six days during the Passover, and the next day he would be tried and executed. And that's what the Jews were anticipating in verse 11, that he would be executed. And it's amazing. Think about this. Here's Peter sleeping between the two guards. Now, let me ask you a question. And he's sleeping soundly because later on we're going to see the angel had to almost you know, smack him to wake him up. So he's sleeping between these two guards, you know, and the next day he's going to be executed. Would you be sleeping if you were going to be executed the next day? This shows Peter's great trust in God. That Peter was not going to be released. That's not what he was anticipating. But whether he lived or died, he was going to trust in the Lord, no matter what. Kind of reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the story in Daniel chapter 3? Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down to my idol, or you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And what did they do? They said, we're not going to do that. And whether we live, whether God saves us or doesn't, we will not bow down to your idol. Their trust was in the living God, and so was Peter's. Peter's faith was not in his power. It wasn't in politics. It was in the living God, just as those who were praying for him. And what was the result? Well, look, look back at the text. It's amazing. The chains fell off. Peter stands up. <laughs> the angel tells him, get dressed. It's like he's going to work. Get dressed. And then the gates open by themselves, and Peter is freed. Look at verses 12 through 16, and we'll see the church's response. When he had realized this, he went to the house of Mary the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. <laughs> and when they had opened, they saw him and they were amazed. Now, picture what's going on here. This is almost slapstick uh, comedy. Here's, here's Peter knocking on the gate, right? Rhoda goes to answer the gate, hears Peter's voice, recognizes his voice, and leaves him outside. He's still banging on the gate. And then he runs in, she runs in, to tell the prayer meeting that Peter's outside. 
And what's their response? You're crazy. And then their other response is, it's his angel. Now, what do they mean by it's his angel? Well, they're, they're saying Jews believe that there were guardian angels that guarded people, and they looked just like the person they were guarding. So um, they said it's Peter's angel. You know, isn't that typical many times? Isn't that typical how we react when God answers our prayers? We are so amazed and overwhelmed and sometimes slow to believe that God can answer our prayers like that. In fact, I'll bet you there's a few here that wonder, why do we need to pray at all? If God wanted Peter to escape, he would escape. If God wanted Peter martyred, he would be martyred. Do Our prayers don't change God because, because he foreordains everything, right? Well, listen to what one author says about this. He says, in an ultimate sense, therefore, it is folly to think that prayer changes God. Trying to alter the decrees of God through prayer is like trying to reach the moon with a trampoline. It is impossible. Our petitions can't interrupt God's plan for the universe uh, any more than a trampoline can break the power of Earth's gravity. On the other hand, however, Scripture teaches that prayer has been ordained as a way in which God may be moved to action. We must be careful to understand this dimension of prayer correctly. In the first place, God's plan is so comprehensive, it not only includes the final destiny of all things, but also includes the secondary creaturely processes that work together to accomplish these ends. For instance, God does not simply ordain light to, uh, to light things to shine on the earth each day. He employs the sun, the moon, the stars, and countless other things to accomplish that end. God does not merely determine that someone will be healed from a disease he uses doctors and medicine to accomplish this healing. The same is also true of prayer. Prayer is one of the many secondary causes through which God fulfills his plan. Unfortunately, however, many Christians treat prayer as impotent human activity. If you want something done, you say, get going, get it done. To be sure, prayer and action must be kept in balance, but we must stop viewing prayer as so much wishful thinking. Communication with God is our way, listen to this, is our way of tapping into the power of the Lord of the universe. It's something we use to move history towards its end more effectively and dramatically than any other human event, human effort. In his sovereignty, God has, a, has made prayer a wonderfully powerful means by which we may interact with him and effectively shape the course of history. When we petition God, we approach him on the plane of his involvement with secondary causes. 
we seek to change the world by calling on the one who actively orders the world day by day. Do you hear that? We seek to change the world by calling on the one who actively orders the world day by day. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your prayers can change the world? In, in his book, Billy Graham, the book is Angels, 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 Billy Graham writes of a missionary. His name was Rob, Reverend John Patton. He was a pioneer missionary to the New Hebrid Islands. And on his first week there, a bunch of natives, hostile natives, came to his village. They surrounded the village with spears and torches, and they were ready to kill the missionaries that were there. And the missionaries prayed all night long that these natives would leave. And the next morning, they were gone. And about a year later the uh, missionary went to the chief of this tribe who had become a Christian, and he asked him, what happened that night? Why did you guys leave? And he told him this. He said, who were the men? Who were the hundreds of men that were surrounding your village? They were big men wearing shiny garments, surrounding your house. And the conclusion was, they were angels. God answers prayers. God answers prayers. And may even send angels in response to a believer's petition. Well, look at the response when they saw Peter. Look back at verses 16 and 17. It says, uh, but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. And then in verse 17, it says, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. You know, many times you can hear a, a lesson or a sermon on prayer and feel guilted into feeling like, you know, I need to pray because, you know, he's telling me we've got to pray. But look at this text. Look at what they saw happen. Look at what they, uh, how they were encouraged by seeing God respond to their prayers by sending an angel to free Peter. Amazing. And that's what we get to see. Every time we pray and God answers our prayers, we get to see how God is working in this world and we get to take part in what God is doing in this world. Can you imagine how loud the shouts were of joy and praise over seeing their prayers answered. And can you imagine how their faith had grown in Peter and seeing Peter escape? Think of the joy as Peter quieted them down. 
and said, listen to this story. You kind of, it, it almost reminds me of the uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus when they're walking along after Jesus died, right? And they're walking along, and then a stranger walks up next to them and starts talking to them, and it's really Jesus, and they don't recognize him, right? And they're discouraged because of the death of Christ, and they're walking along, and then, then Jesus starts talking to them and telling them about himself in the Old Testament. And finally, when, he, when they realize who it is, and then he disappears, they say, didn't our hearts burn? as he talked about himself in the Old Testament. You know, it reminds me of this. I'm sure their hearts burned as Peter related to them this story of the angel freeing them, freeing Peter from the jail. Amazing. The church had not been overcome by Herod but were victorious because of God's power through answered prayer. But what happened to Herod? Look at verses 21 through 23. Herod gets up to speak to a crowd, to uh, people from Tyre and Sidon. And in verse 21 it says, And on that appointed day Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man! And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Herod was a man pleaser and trusted in politics and power and was judged because of his pride. And the church, on the other hand, trusted in the power of God and in the power of prayer and because of this, Peter was restored to them. In closing, um, years ago when I went to that General Assembly, there was a man from South Korea that came, and he stood before the General Assembly, and he asked for prayer. He said that there were families that had escaped from North Korea, and they had gotten into China, and the Chinese government, these were Christians, Christian families, and the Chinese government was going to send them back to North Korea, which meant certain death. So this man came and he asked for prayer. He didn't come to the United States. He didn't travel all the way to the United States to uh, ask the president for help or senators for help or, you know, trusting in his politics or the UN. No, his trust was in God and in the power of prayer. And as he stood before the General Assembly, he prayed this. And I remember these words. He said this in his prayer. He said, we are helpless without God. We are helpless without God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are helpless without God? Or when trials and difficulties come in your life, who do you turn to first? Do you turn to yourself? Do you turn to your friend? 
Do you turn to your spouse or your visa card? We need to learn from the lesson of the Apostle Peter and the first century church that we are helpless without the power of God through prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this story in your word which reveals how much you love your church. Help us to rejoice that we have the privilege each day to come into your presence um, as our Father. And Father, we thank you that you rejoice in hearing from us, your children. Lord, help us to enter into the battle through our prayers, knowing that you will give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.